coat and find the drink that would work for me. I had so many, okay, I had so many issues um, that canceled me out of not believing you, not believing the book, not believing that God cares, not, not believing anybody. And I didn't know this was a self-will run riot possibility. And that's what happened. And um, some things started happening and my family started distancing themselves from me. Came from a great home, a mother and father that loved me, had brothers. Nobody in the house drank that I know of. Nobody in my family drank that I know of since I found out uh, some history way back in the 40s or something called uh, bathtub gin or something like that. <laughs> I had an uncle. <laughs> and diabetes ran through my family like crazy. So it makes me wonder that alcohol really wrecks you physically. I'm, I'm going through some of that now. My birthday is, uh, my silver birthday is December 26, 2000. I am so forever grateful that I had a spiritual awakening that worked that particular day. I have been around you guys for about 90 days and um, made the mistake of giving me something that I thought it was a badge of honor. They were called chips. I thought that 30 day chip was the one. I saw a girl walking around, she had about five 30 day chips and I said, I want five like her. No, Jimetta, just get one 30 day. You know, get 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 one chip for 60 days. I got that. One chip for 90 days. I got that. The problem is, I got addicted to chips. Man, I I I have that type of of thinking in my head. If I like something, I want it all. I have no balance. And what happened was, um, I didn't know there was a phrase for people like me who came in they know it all by 90 days and they don't come back you know I love I fell in love with the reading more about alcoholism because when I crawl back in a day later because I I knew if I stayed on any longer I was gonna die I was 58 when I got here and then it gave me the, that whole list of things uh, and I, I when I would when I first heard it I had my eyes closed and I was doing the checkoff list, did I do that? And I got stuck on natural wines. Like what the hell is natural wines? Because I believe that I don't go in a meeting without praying. I don't go anywhere without asking God to guide me because I was stuck without him for so long. And then uh, and I'm a blackout drinker and uh God opened the theater of what was natural wines. And I remember being in Mexico at the bullfights and a friend had made some sangria. It had beautiful limes and lemons and it was beautiful. Pineapple. But it was full of, I don't know if it was vodka or gin, didn't make any difference. And I'm sitting at the bullfights and all of a sudden I got the bright idea, the alcoholic idea that I could fight the bull better than the matador. And I was gonna climb over the fence. They put us out. They put us out of Mexico, me and my friends, because I wasn't the only one. I ran with alcoholics. I'm not gonna be around anybody that's not doing what I do. And then I started shaking my head. When someone would share, I didn't distance myself from their journey. And I 
truly, truly am so grateful that I learned what an alcoholic is, what alcoholism is. I have recovered today. Um, I have a few hours to go um, and I'll still be sober, but I'll wake up. <laughs> I wake up an alcoholic and I got to start it all over again. And that's what works for me. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, time and this. Yeah, it does count because I remember what to do. And I've had some circumstances and instances, which the book tells me, are acid tests where you qualify to not drink and you don't know why. You know, and people say, even when you want to drink, you won't. What is that about? And um, I've had those instances happen in my life. And I'm so grateful for the word pause before I made a mistake, either open my mouth and say something that wasn't loving, wasn't thoughtful, not my business, or um, decided a drink would help a situation. I, uh, I didn't get to celebrate my birthday December um, 2020 because COVID came and knocked on our door and it took my husband out and he was in the hospital getting help. All the meetings closed down and nobody was talking. We didn't know what to do. Zoom hadn't started yet and the enemy was yakking in my ear. Nobody would know. You would be justified. After all, you're going to be a widow. It was mean things coming up <laughs> and um, and uh, I don't know if I just started praying. I, I wouldn't really listen to the news a lot because there was so much chatter that was negative and I was afraid. And uh, so everybody's afraid to come around anybody. So um, what I did was I stayed in the book. I believe that book has not lied about who I am and how I could suffer if I want to. And uh, by the time I got out of that mode, uh, my husband was able to come home and um, he is a student of the book when he left the house on a gurney I could see he didn't know who he was it was like blank and I said I wonder if he'll remember the big book <laughs> he remembers everything he is such a, a student of the book people call our house ask Bo what page it's on you know, if you're married to an alcoholic uh, uh, or, or you're dating an alcoholic, we met on AA campus. We're in the book. Uh, we've been married for a little bit over 16 years, I don't want to say, 17 years. And, um, and uh, uh, so he has eight years over me, so he, he knew the job was dangerous. <laughs> so the things that we go through, I learned to use the traditions um, for our relationship, the steps are for me personally. I have uh, examples of couples, um, and usually, you know, we we if we get into that battle, we kind of eventually look at each other and laugh because we know it's the enemy. We know it's the enemy, and um, the deal is that God has blessed our home, has blessed our health. Um, has blessed our sobriety. We have a host of friends. We have family in our life. And I just turned 80. What the fuck? Wow. 
What the fuck? <laughs> and I am so grateful. Thank you. I am so grateful. Yeah, my knee was talking when we were on the way over here. It says, it's going to rain. <laughs> but uh, I, am, uh, I am a happy, grateful alcoholic. And I had to lose a son who got sober. I had to lose a grandson who was mentally ill uh, and committed suicide. I, I just got a few days ago connected with my granddaughter who was abducted over 20 years ago. Didn't drink. I don't know why. I tapped into the power of the meeting. I have a sponsor who is no joke and he'll ask me, did you pray first, Jimena? Are you helping somebody, Jimena? You know, and sometimes I've gotten a little lazy, you know, oh, I want to do that. And I remember, I remember not only <laughs> did, I, did I get kicked out of countries, I remember almost driving the wrong way on the freeway. Thank God I never killed a human being or an animal. I don't think I would be able to look in the mirror. My name's Jimetta. I'm a grateful alcoholic, and our speaker tonight, my sweet husband, Bo. Good evening, everyone. My name's Bo, and I'm a real alcoholic. Hi, Bo. Hi, Bo. And the double grace of a loving God allows me to be here in spite of me, and for that, I'm eternally grateful. Uh, my uh, sober birthday is February 14th, Valentine's Day, 1993. Uh, I have a sponsor who has a sponsor. And uh, I try and be of service. Uh, when asked to speak, I, you know, I thank God I don't act like I think. Because on the world here, I'm like, Let's say it ain't gonna rain. It's raining. Wow, there ain't gonna be no cover over the little spot. And uh, when I got here, it wasn't even drizzling anymore. Uh, see, what I used to be like, what happened, and what I'm like now. Uh, I come from a history of violence. Uh, what I learned in the world coming up as a youngster is that uh, it's more appropriate to get angry if you hurt my feelings than to just say, well, less man, uh, you know when you said that? Uh, that hurt my feelings. You know, it's more appropriate to be angry and to keep you off me, you won't think I'm weak. Uh, as a, a kid, uh, my people are from Louisiana, and uh, they used to bring the party home after the party. And so uh, I'd see people like my uncle Fernando be sitting in the living room, and I'm the middle kid of seven. I'm the only one that got up when they started partying early in the morning. And, and uh, I see my Uncle Fernando over there, and I see he drinking and looked like 7-Up, but I know that stuff burns. 
and I go over by him and and, and look at his glass and look in him and say, hey, come here, nephew. You want some of this? And uh, I shake my head, yeah. And I turn up the glass. And, <coughs> and the second one always went down smooth. Um, I did that for, for years. Uh, and then I got the, we still used uh, the church key or can opener with the open cans that didn't have pop tops. Uh, and uh, I said, you want a beer, Angie? And she said, yeah. And then I go get it, and of course, I would drink the foam off the top and get a swallow and bring it to her. Uh, and I'd sample all my relatives' drinks. And uh, I guess I started drinking regularly. It started on a Friday night. Uh, going to a, a middle school dance, uh, you know, and, and as I'm pretty sure there's a lot of rocket scientists and geniuses sitting out here. I don't know who you are, but I know I really thought I was one. Uh, and uh, I believe that the lies that I told myself for so long that uh, the truth damn near killed me. Uh, at 11, uh, I was going to a junior high school dance. And uh, me and some of my friends went and got, uh, got uh, the, old <laughs> the, the old wino, the guy that's sitting at the liquor store all day long, panhandling and stuff. And we got them to buy us uh, a fifth of uh, three roses. Uh, is uh, 21% alcohol, uh, and I tried not to drink anything under 19% in the beginning, uh, and uh, we drank it, and I would only drink on Friday night when I go to a house party or something, and after that, uh, somewhere along the line, I don't know where, but I crossed the line, and I would drink on Saturday and then I added Sunday and got to taper off because I got to be ready for school Monday. Uh, and uh, you know how we, we talk about, the, the doctor's opinion talks about we're in full flight from reality, now we just in life. And uh, we have strange mental blank spots. And uh, we, I hear people say things like, Oh, you're having a senior moment when you forget what you were going to talking about. And uh, I ain't never had a senior moment. What I have is strange mental blank spots and peculiar mental twists. Uh, and I've been having them since I was 13 years old. Uh, I never wanted to be a, a drunk or alcoholic. And, and I didn't really know what one was until I was 43, 44 years old. Uh, I was introduced to this fellowship in 1967. Uh, I was 16 years old. And, uh, my first meeting was in Whittier somewhere. I couldn't go in the neighborhood because some people that know me might see me. And uh, I'd get that court card signed. And then they were squalls. They weren't little cute cards like we have now. And uh, 
I started experimenting with party favors uh, and uh, after uh, over a period of time, uh, it, it, you know, I, I smoked uh, pot. Then I probably been hooked on everything under the sun. Uh, and I thought that uh, those party favors were my problem. And I used to pray to God to help me to stop getting high, to use a party paper. Um, and uh, what I discovered for a lot of years is uh, I didn't have a clue that it was the alcohol uh, because I could drink most people under the table. Um, and I guess in my mid twenties I started having blackouts. Uh, and uh for those party favors I've been shot twice, ran over by a car, beat down with a pole with a uh, a pipe, a lead pipe, uh and uh shot at uh you know just for one more. Uh, I used to curse the liquor store owners out if they didn't open at exactly 6 a.m. I'd be talking mess to them while I'm helping them drag the newspapers in the front door. You know, you should have been here, you late, you know, like I'm his boss. Uh, and uh, I thought it was dumb where everybody that I hung around drank like me and did the things that I did. Uh, and I didn't know how sick I was, um, which brings me to a point where, uh, you know, I've been in, I had this real good job. I grew up in, uh, well, I didn't know, you know, I matured chronologically and I became uh, an LVN and then I became a registered nurse and uh, I had it easiest job in the world and I enjoyed what I was doing at General Hospital. Uh, during that time, uh, I got to know the doctors of pharmacology and a lot of the different uh, facilities, that, medical facilities that they have around there. And uh, by God's grace, I lasted 27 years here. Uh, I knew that, and, and I've, I've been in like, I know I completed 35 treatment centers. And uh, I go back, you know, go back to work for 30, 60, 90 days, one time six months. And uh, it got, it was so frequent that I was went at least once a year. Uh, my supervisor would approach me and say, uh, Mr. Beauregard, you have three alternatives. There's one, you can resign. We'll terminate you, number two, or you can go back to treatment. So, uh, I've been to uh, Hazelden in Minnesota. I've been to Shik Shadell, that 
seven-day cure and a few follow-ups. And uh, I experienced how that works because if I'm drinking, I'm not going to tell you anyway when you call me on the phone. And, Are you still sober? Yeah, man. My life is good. Hold on, please. Yeah, now, what were you saying? You know, uh, and I had that kind of insurance. And, and so uh, people like me are the reason that they don't uh, pay but certain amounts of money for you to go to treatment anymore, you know. Um, I have a second edition of the big book, which uh, they paid $52,000 for. Uh, and I go to treatment, and because I was a bodybuilder, uh, I'd show out on the diving board, uh, put a few golf balls, hit some tennis balls like I knew what I was doing. Uh, and uh, 30 days later, 60 days later, or 31 days later, or, or 61 days later, or 91 days later, I'd be drinking again. Uh, I was, uh, the only reason I went to A meetings is because the judge sent me uh, and I didn't want to be locked up. So, uh, coming along, I did a lot of tragic things and I hurt a lot of people. Uh, I'd like to say there, there's a, a couple more letters I need to write because no, the people are no longer with us. Uh, that I could see now people were real important in my life and, and, and cared about me and trying to help me. Uh, but uh, you can't, you, you people, you losers in AA can't tell me nothing, you know. I'm not to live, I've been on my own since I was 16 years old. Uh, I don't depend on nobody uh, for my livelihood. I, I make my own way. Uh, like they used to say when I was a kid, pull up your bootstraps and all that kind of stuff. I didn't know I suffered from alcoholism. Uh, in January of uh, 93, uh, I had a PO who sent me to uh, a place called Union Station Foundation. And I met this guy named Bill Morgan. And uh, he would give analogies that were uh, so, you know, I could relate to him. And uh, I'd hate him probably every other day, at least twice a week, when I'd go to these meetings, because he would do things like uh, say, oh, well, who comes to a homeless shelter with homeless people with two or three thousand dollars worth of jewelry and clothes on their back. You know? It's like nobody around here. Well, I mean I figured everybody had a pager to be homeless, what they doing with pagers, you know. And uh, I was still superior to them, uh, in my mind, because I could always fix up my outsides. Uh, I never had a problem fixing up the outside. Uh, it was the inside. And they were raggedier than a can of sauerkraut. I remember one time after I started there, 
digest this thing, you know. And then I hear people say they had like a year sober or six months. Oh, they lying. Five years, you absolutely out of your mind. And, you know, and, and all the AA meetings that I went to, when I first started going, the people there were like in their 30s and 40s and 50s and, and up. And, and I was a youngster, you know, 16, 17, 18, and, and in my 20s, in 30s and early 40s. I'd go to these meetings and see like all these old people were in there, you know, and this stuff don't apply to me. You know, and I know that I heard the solution countless times, uh, but I was thinking about break time so I could run across the street to the liquor store. And I was at this uh, homeless shelter, and uh, like I said, I, I felt superior to the homeless people because I had an apartment and two had some jewels and a nice little car. And uh, I remember uh, when he, one morning I was going to a book, a big book study, uh, and I stepped over this homeless guy, and he was all caked up, you know, dirty. Uh, and uh, as I stepped over him, I went inside and I sat down. I got me a cup of coffee and I sat down. And I looked around the room and then I looked back out by the front door where this guy was asleep at that I had stepped over to come in the door. And, and I thought, wow, the only difference between him and I is that my out were my outsides. I felt inside just like he looked. And uh, that really made an impression on me because we'd have uh, workshops and they be simple things like uh, look around on your way to your car or when you're walking and see some things that you've never seen or you never heard. And, and uh, I remember I used to hear the birds chirping come daylight uh, forever, it seemed like. Uh, and it only irritated me. Uh, I started to get into the book and, and, and to learn about what it was that I was I had been suffering from all these years. You know, like, I, I can remember uh, incidents like uh, getting wake, awakened by the sprinklers in the morning um, and my, my, my car still running and the radio or the, or the tape is still blasting. And I remember I'm getting I'm right by my porch and I get out on the driver's side and as I'm finna go up the stairs, I wake up on the other side of the car on the fence I done ripped my coat and my vest, not once or twice, but three or four times, maybe more. Um and I wonder, I guess when I went to step up, I started falling backwards and didn't want to fall. And went all the way around my car backwards and fell on the fence. And the sprinklers woke me up uh, at daylight, you know. Um, I started to learn things about me and, and what alcoholism was because I thought alcoholics were those guys that 
carry the bottle in their back pocket and they're dirty and and they they're on the on in the gutter or panhandling and begging. And well, I knew I wasn't one of those type of people, you know. And uh I I I always wonder, you know, like after a hundred I don't belong here. I'm not like these people. And what I found out uh, was uh, I am one of the biggest losers of all, uh, and that I'm in the right place being around people like you that think like me and act like me until we get better. Um, as Bill called it, uh, spiritual kindergarten. Uh, I was grow growing chronologically, but uh, emotionally, I was still a teenager, you know. Uh, I throw tantrums. Uh, and God put you in my life to make me happy. The only purpose, to make me happy. You know, forgetting what I'm gonna do for you is always what's in it for me. And I learned that I was selfish and self-centered. And I didn't, I didn't believe that. Uh, but in learning about myself and, and studying the big book, uh, you know, I could find me on any page in there, uh, in the stories, uh, you know, like uh, the preface tells you what the book is about, and, and the, you know, and the, the doctor's opinion and the four words, and and those things are are uh, of real importance to me. Uh, like, I'll never forget, I learned that. The Forge to the Second Edition has more history in it than the big book in its entirety, you know. Uh, I also learned that uh, experience is the only teacher in the world that gives you the test and then you learn the lesson. Uh, I remember uh, one of the sayings that was really familiar when I first got sober. Uh, and they said, there's only one thing you got to change, and that's everything. And my rocket scientist brain quickly latched on, well, honesty is the principle of step one. Change, C-H-A-N-G-E-D. Change, G-E, uh, Choosing honesty allows new growth every day. Damn, I don't know nothing about honesty for the first 43 years of my life. I've been a liar, cheating, a thief under the guise of being law-abiding, saving people's lives kind of person. Uh, honesty, yeah, man. I mean, I grew up in a household where they told you to be honest, tell the truth that nothing won't happen, and when you told the truth, you got beat within an inch of your life. Um, the same people that told me uh, tell the truth and nothing don't happen are the same people that told me to be honest. But if the phone rang, they'd say things like, uh, baby, it does you better. Tell her mommy sleep. Uh, the doorbell would ring and when my dad was there, he'd say, uh, if that's the insurance man or the encyclopedia man, tell him nobody's home. So I learned how to lie in my family of origin. Uh, and what I learned eventually uh, is 
tell them anything they want to hear, but don't tell them the truth. You know, and uh, having lived my life, uh, after I got sober, I started to wonder, that it was God that was there with me. Uh, just like uh, December 26, between 12 a.m. and 12.15 a.m. Uh, when I thought I was gonna celebrate my wife's 20th birthday, uh, I was leaving in the ambulance. Uh, and. Uh, I wound up, uh, I remember lying in the back of the ambulance and seeing the emergency room people, a line going in there, because Huntington was full. And they were in the parking lot in the tents and stuff. And uh, four days later, I came to and found, and I was restrained to the bed in ICU. Uh, I had been uh, incubated the first 24 hours, second 24 hours. I was on a respirator ventilator, third 24 hours. I had a breathing tube down my throat. And uh, I remember I went to the hospital on a Saturday morning, and it was like Tuesday, early Tuesday morning. And uh, they were taking the tube out my throat and told me, don't talk. And I said, I'm not tiny. And uh, they said, no, not yet. You're a fighter. I was really weak, and, uh, I, I, and when the doctor came and saw me, uh, he told me uh, that, that I had COVID in my lungs. Uh, and uh, it was really, because in late 2000, in early 2001, when January came around, it's like uh, I was getting my appetite back a little bit. But I lost 30 pounds in like five or six days. And uh, all I, everybody I'd heard about with COVID died. They never left the hospital. And, and you know, and they were talking about the bodies piling up and stuff. And so I was really frightened, but uh, it got me closer to my God and I started praying uh, incessantly and throughout the day. Uh, the things that this, this uh, fellowship and this process has taught me. Uh, you know, I look at the, the prefaces when I think about the big book, and, and then when it goes to the doctor's opinion. And, and uh, a lot of people, when they're at book studies, they skip right over page 18 uh, after the squiggly writing or italicized writing on page 18. Um, because in going in and out of treatment centers uh, in the earlier part of my life, uh, they, you go to outside meetings and your counselor tells you, find a sponsor. Now, why would you tell a sick person like me to look for a sponsor? Let me see. Uh, oh, I know. I look for somebody like Les who always drive new cars, got big diamonds, and know a lot of women. 
Yeah, that's, that's gonna be my sponsor, you know. And, and that's what they tell you. They tell you look for a sponsor, and uh, you know you get the length like because of uh, the two hundred badge words that comprise twelve steps uh, in this fellowship, and I've done some other fellowships: ACA, Alanon, uh, NANCA. Uh, I know I cut my teeth in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I can go to any meeting, anywhere, uh, except for overeaters. <laughs> uh, I don't know, I, I do, don't, I mean, how can people overeat? But, like, I could, I, mean, I could overeat some butter pecan ice cream, easy. <laughs> Even today, you know. But, it's like, overeat food. Yeah, you know, uh, but I, you know, I'm sure, like, like in AA meetings, if I talk about drugs, nobody can. I mean, unless you've done drugs, you can't relate to the feelings I'm sharing. You know, and, and so uh, they, used to, you know, and I, and I used to get angry with people when I'd go to those meetings and they ask me to share. Now you know my story. I do drugs. I drink like a fish, but I do drugs too, you know. And and then they would say, oh, no, we don't talk about that. We have singleness of purpose. And I didn't understand uh, before I got in the process myself years later. Uh, I went for 27 years before I got sober and stayed sober. Uh, you know, like they have things you do like on page 24, uh, Uh, when it talks about uh, we, we don't have any, uh, a choice, you know, because I used to say, I'm not going to get drunk today, or I'm not going to do this or that, and then I'd find myself wiped out, and it's like, oh, I guess I changed my mind. <laughs> and and I, I later discovered that it's like, uh, and you ain't got, you, you can say what you want to say, but we will be drinking and probably using it that, you know, and and uh, I finally realized that I had a problem with alcohol uh, because w once I started drinking, I don't, you know, what is that? Oh yeah, as long as it affects me from the neck up, I'm cool, you know. And and uh, like some of the things since I've been sober, some of the things that I believe. Uh, I no longer believe them. Uh, I've since learned better. Uh, like, oh yeah, uh, I lied to myself for, for so long, like I said in the beginning, um, that, like, that never happened. Why was I saying that? Why was I telling people that? And, and so, uh, as I continue to study your book uh, and, and, and to work with others, uh, you know, and, and like, I'm so smart. I was two years sober and had been sponsoring people for about a year and a half before I realized that I never saw on page 20 until I knew that I wasn't going to get to share because only three people could share when staff was there and you couldn't turn back the pages. And, and, and so, that was one of the things that allowed me to study the book. 
uh, like uh, the facilitator used to talk about, uh, uh, more will be revealed. And it's like, that bugged me for about five months, six months, because I was looking in the book for it. And then I was like, man, we went to 297 meetings in 90 days. God will constantly disclose more to you in the house. Oh, that means more will be revealed to intelligence. You gotta dumb me up, man, but don't strike me dumb, please. I gotta know something, you know. And uh, throughout, you know, uh, like on page 34, there's a, a thing that says, whether, whether such a person can quit on a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent if he's lost the power to choose if he will drink or not. You can remove the word drink and change it with robbing banks, uh, cheating on your husband or your wife or your mate. Uh, I mean, out in infinite, just change the word drink to whatever, you know. And and uh, then uh, the book has so much wisdom in it, and, and it talks about most good ideas being simple, you know. Uh, and I complicate things because I used to think too much. Uh, I, I remember um, a little over 29 years ago, this guy that, well, no longer than that. Uh, but for me, it was only a little over 29 years just before I got sober. Uh, the week before, I was talking to this guy, and he's at the big meeting in the sky now. And uh, I was telling him about my girlfriend, and man, she did this and that. And, and uh, he looked at me and said, and we used to drink together. He said, Bo, just go home and be the punk that you are. And remember, you have the right to remain silent. <laughs> and I thought, what kind of witchy kind of stuff is he talking, you know? And uh, about 14 years ago, I started to apply it in my marriage. Works like a charm. I know which battles to pick, you know. And most times, I can't win, you know. And I have this thing that I'm getting a lot better with. I've gotten a lot better with. It's confrontation. There are things that I did, uh, like for instance, I would say, I don't, I don't need no help from you. I don't, you know, I can do it, uh, but I need you to pull off some of the schemes that I need to pull off, so I can help you make some money, and I can make four or five times as much. Uh, and uh, always the shortcuts. I mean, uh, when I left work, I was my job uh, as a result of being uh, disabled with uh, end-stage renal disease. Uh, I've been on dialysis eight years uh, this past October. And, uh, you know, uh, there's, uh, you know, like, I always look forward because they were talking to me like I was going to get a kidney and, at least by the second year, I'd have a, a, a new kidney. And uh, 
that didn't happen. And I saved all these clothes and, and jackets. I got a closet full of jackets, leather and suede, different sizes. And they look like I'm wearing my daddy's clothes, like the shoulder is down over my elbow, you know, when I try to put on these things. So uh, I know that I'm gonna have to sell them and, and donate them like I've been doing you know, a little bit at a time. I paid a lot of money for those clothes. And uh, what I've done uh, is continue to study the book. And, and that, that phrase uh, that I said I didn't see for two years was uh, on page 20 uh, when it talks about uh, the person being, uh, you know, like, my, our, our thoughts must constantly be on others and how we may help meet their needs. Now, how can I constantly think about you when I'm always on my mind? You know, uh, but I didn't see that for two years. Uh, and uh, I became like a, a big book thumper from hell. <laughs> and people would, hey, I always ask Bo, uh, women, I better get this right because Bo's in the room. And uh, they, they, say, they started saying things like, uh, oh, no, that book backwards and forwards. I'm like, now you can't say that about me and nobody in here because every time I open the book, I see something like, when did they put that in there? You know? <laughs> because my understanding is always changing and I'm growing, you know? Uh, I know that uh, it was suggested to me and then I later found out, give me some directions and some instructions. Uh, like, I've heard so many stories about, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path, about what it used to say originally. The only thing they changed was path to direction because they know that alcoholics like me ain't standing for nobody telling them what to do. So they make suggestions. Uh, there, there's been such a transformation in my life uh, as a result of uh, taking the steps off the wall and incorporating the principles in my life. Uh, they suggested that I go to step study meetings, uh, big book study, uh, get a workshop and attend some uh, speaker meetings. You know, I, I've done them all. Uh, you know, sometimes I go to meetings and think I'm in a junior therapy meeting because they're talking about uh, babysitters and therapists and all kind of crazy stuff. You know, everything except the steps and, and, and the power of God that allows wretches like myself to be in the rooms, you know. Uh, I thank God that I didn't get what I deserve or what I, you know, because I know that uh, I've done some, if you look up the word, there was a time in my life, if you look up the word scandalous in the dictionary, there would be a picture of me, <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, if I did something to you to offend you or hurt you or break you, uh, you deserved it or I wouldn't have did it, you know? 
you can't. You know, and, and, and you know, uh, I, I was able to finally apply that to me. You can't serve two masters. If, if, I, if I'm playing God, why would I, you know, and I got money probably in prestige, why would I be looking for God? I'm the next best thing to him anyway, you know? And uh, I, you know, in, only in hindsight, it's always 2020. I get to see the truth that situations that I got out of, uh, like being shot and, and, and just being on this earth still. So as a result of the experiences that I've had uh, during my drinking career. See? And how I know I'm a real alcoholic is if I'm lying in the gutter, and you're trying to help me, I feel more superior to, than, to you, than you, you know? Uh, that's how my thinking was twisted. Uh, I didn't know, I was so sick. It's like I heard years ago. Do you know how sick you gotta be to think you're not as sick as people in the room? Uh, I know that uh, we get well, but we don't get cured, because I know uh, I, I took a cake uh, last week uh, at a meeting and the guy said, 27 years, and my first instinct, my head said, shut that motherfucker. And, 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 you know, but I didn't say anything and, and I just gave my little pitch and I sat down and just before the meeting was over, I said, you know, there's people out here that know that you you, you don't get cured, but you get well, and you get a lot better. Uh, I said, but the next time any, any of you ever try to short, shorten me for two years of my time, I'm going to kill your ass. <laughs> so I chose that. I'm just better. I'm well. I'm not cured. Uh, and like I said earlier, I'm so grateful that I don't act like I think. Uh, you know, there are so many things in, in the big book. Like of the 142 promises in the big book, and the guarantee on page 55, uh, my favorite promise in the big book is on page 100. And it says, uh, follow the dictates of a higher power and you will live in a new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstance. And I'm sure everybody, not everybody, but most of the people out here have experienced that. Uh, because by taking those 12 steps and incorporating them in my life, uh, practical application of them, uh, my life has changed. And, uh, I'm nowhere near where I used to be as far as financially, but my life is peaceful and uh, I don't have to look over my shoulder anymore. Uh, and I can go anywhere any free man goes, you know. I remember on, on page 102 when it talks about uh, I could go to the most sordid spot on earth as long as I got God with me. 
Uh, and I just say, man, I wouldn't go. And then if I had 50 less Elkanas with me, I ain't going in no dope spot or no crack house or none of that, you know. And over the years, I found that I can go anywhere free man can go, as long as my motors are right. Uh, I learned to sort out and find that motive behind my first motive. Uh, and I know in the beginning, I would like to vicariously live my life through you party goers and revelers, but I can't live like that anymore. I don't think that set well with me. Uh, I know that, uh, and I'm constantly thinking about God. Uh, and I, I, I can't say I constantly think about but I do find people that, that I can help. Uh, and, and I reach my hand out, you know. And, and it's like I was uh, talking about in the beginning. In the beginning of the book on page 18 and 25, people always say, well, you don't say nothing about sponsor. No, but it uh, alludes to uh, that it's not the newcomer's responsibility to look for a sponsor. It's the sponsor's responsibility or the person who's on with facts about themselves to find that newcomer and work with it and be of assistance, you know. Uh, you know, I know some of the stories aren't in the book no more. Um, and, and, and they talk about, um, uh, like, uh, what is that, recovery. It was only in the third edition twice. Now it's only in there once on page 22, 122, uh, in the family afterward. And it talks, you know, the definition of a recovery that rises on page 127. And then there's the guy who would die to take the drink in the vision for you on page 151 that would love to take a drink, but. You know, uh, he doesn't, so he's miserable. Uh, and then there's the real alcoholic on page 21, the uh, longest paragraph in the big book, uh, which describes how I used to be perfectly and still could be if uh, I happen to lose my way or rely upon this, because I know that I still think twisted. I just have learned to allow God not to allow me to get into action, you know, except when it's helping another alcoholic. Uh, and, and I help people that uh, along the way, I help old ladies cross the street. Uh, I suggest that you take your purse out of the basket and walk away like that, ma'am, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, and, and I've just learned so much about really living. I mean, I've been to a lot of spots, a lot of different places in the world, and uh, I vaguely remember except how beautiful Hawaii is and how beautiful the Fiji Islands are and how beautiful uh, Anchorage, Alaska is, uh, how the beef eaters really don't move for eight hours unless they're after somebody or correcting somebody, but they stand at attention with the big old furry hats on 
uh, and uh, so many things that that I vaguely remember. Uh, and so now I'm truly enjoying life and enjoying fresh air. And I'm truly, truly full of gratitude that uh, God spared my life, uh, allowed me to do things that uh, for others and help others as opposed to seeing what was in it for me all my life. You know, so uh, I suggest that you continue to work the steps and help others or I don't like to think about what would happen if I don't. So I'm going to keep coming back and I hope you all will too. And thank you for allowing me to share. Okay, can I, I'm going to go ahead and ask for a volunteer, please, to come up and read the promises and pray us out with the Lord's Prayer, please. Thank you. Les? I'm less alcoholic. Yes. We just need volunteers afterwards to help Fernando take this stuff to the truck. And we're, we've been short. We had a couple of volunteers that couldn't come tonight. But uh, if you could stay and help clean up, we'd appreciate it. These are the promises. If we are painstaking about the phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not forget the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we'll see we, we will see how experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Now, after a moment of silence for the alcoholic that still suffers in and out of these rooms and the innocent children caught in the crossfire, please join me in, this, in the Lord's Prayer. Whose Father? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. Just stay. Yay! Oh. Okay. 
Hi, good evening. My name's Tony. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Tony. Tony. And, uh, you know, I've been, my home group is the uh, sick, lame, and lazy. And uh, I qualify in all areas. So I'm glad to be here tonight, and I'm glad to be in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, quite a while ago, I had a real problem with alcohol. I spent a lot of years drinking. But those last five years were really, really rough. You know, I went through a period of my life where I enjoyed having a, a drink. And I enjoyed being with friends. And I was able to be a part of. And then at some point in time, it moved from a, from a position of where I wanted to have a drink to where I had to have a drink. And at that time, it became a chore. And I stepped over that line where... You know, I started to have fun to a point to where I couldn't get to where I wanted to get to in terms of, of being loaded. And I spent a lot of years chasing that. But more importantly, I spent a lot of years being alone and lost. And I could be in a room just like this, and I'd be all by myself. And you could be sitting right next to me, and we could be having a conversation, and I wouldn't give a shit about you and what you were doing as long as I was drinking. And I spent my whole day planning my drinks and where I was gonna get the next one. And I was one of those functional alcoholics, you know, so you think. Nobody knows, did a lot of drinking in the garage, you know, going out to get something, always going out to fix something. And there was always a bottle out there. Hell, I worked down in LA near Glendale. I lived up in Santa Clarita. Santa Clarita at the time. I used to drive home at lunch to drink. That's 30 miles. Sometimes I would go home just so I could pick up a bottle to fill up the bottle that was in the kitchen so my wife wouldn't know how much I drank the night before. You know? So I was a hell of a planner. But I put myself in a position where I, where I was all worn out. And I got to a point where, you know, you go through all those things when you when you read the book, you, you know, you, you change brands of, of booze, you try to get in shape, you do all kinds of different things to try to help yourself because you know you got a problem, but you don't want to admit it. And then at some point in time, I was lost and all alone, and I was looking for help. And I put myself in a spin drive. And at the time, I wanted to learn how to drink like a gentleman. You know, I wasn't quite ready to admit that I had a problem. And I spent 30 days in there. Then I came out and I got into a night program. And and I started going to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. When I first walked into my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, I was scared to death. And I sat and I went to this place called the Rafters up in Santa Clarita. And uh, it was a lot like the 502. I call it a high-class 502 club because it was on the second floor of a place. But the difference between the way the people looked in that room and the way I felt was completely different. I could see it in their eyes that they felt, well, they were looking for something different. And I, I could understand that they had something that I wanted. But in the meantime, I started drinking in between meetings. And I asked the guy to sponsor me. 
And I went to, he told me to go to a meeting every day. And he'd be at three or four of those meetings. And I'd be drinking in between. And one day he came up to me and he put his finger in my chest and he said, look, Tony, until you can learn to be honest with yourself, why don't you go out there and keep drinking? Because what we try to do here is get sober. And there's a program here for you if you want it. And that's the most important meeting that I ever had with an individual. But let me tell you about the guys that were in that group that I joined up there. Now, I went to a meeting every day, seven days a week, after I decided that I wanted what you had. And there were guys there that would spend time. There was a guy there named Art. And every time that I walked into the meeting, he'd shake my hand. There was another guy named John. And when I was leaving, he'd say, keep coming back. There was another guy named Vic, and he'd say, hey, you want to get a cup of coffee? After the meeting. And we sat down and we talked. And the thing about Vic is he had 45 days. And I had one. And he got me a job as a coffee commitment. On a Saturday morning meeting. Where 60 or 70 men came. For a meeting. And I kept that job for about six months, and then they wanted me to give it up, and I didn't want to give it up. You know, because it made me feel a part of it. And I got another sponsor after this guy fired. My first sponsor fired me. Best guy that I ever worked with. And my sponsor took me through the steps in the book. We read the book. The first thing he told me to do is read the book, the 100, first 164 pages. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to underline every place that you see yourself. There's a lot of underline in that book. And there still is. And every time I use that book, I, if I underline something else, I write the date in the column. Because I'm still learning. I'm still trying to understand that there's a better way to live. And I've had a lot of men and women in my life that have helped me see different things. But I can tell you the most important thing that happened to me in, in Alcoholics Anonymous is I found a God of my understanding. I found a power greater than myself that I could turn my problems over to. Now, a lot of guys, some of that, most of you don't know me that well, but there's a few guys here that do know me, and I've been through uh, an interesting year, if you would say that. And I was able to walk through that because of Alcoholics Anonymous and because of the ability to turn things over and ask for help. And also having enough, I guess, understanding that it's a lot easier to talk to somebody when I got a problem than to let it fester and sit. And Alcoholics Anonymous has given me a life that I could never, ever have dreamt of. The other part of Alcoholics Anonymous that I think is important is, is to be of service, to be there for somebody else. And sometimes it's just a matter of being like Art was and shaking your hand when you walk in the door. And sometimes it's like John telling that guy or that lady, keep coming back. We got a chair for you. We'll be here for you. Or you're in a room and you see somebody and you can tell because you can see in their eyes where you've been. 
and you, you just walk up and say, hey, you want to get a cup of coffee? Or how are you doing? And I don't care if that person's brand new in the program or if he's been in there 40 years. We're all the same. Life changes, and we have to change with it. And I learned from Alcoholics Anonymous that you can change every day. But I think it takes a couple of things. It takes the ability to get up in the morning and thank God for the day I have in front of me and ask for help. That maybe I don't pick up a drink today. I also ask that I could be there for somebody else. Make me a different man. Make me a better person today. And then at the end of the day, I thank him for a great day. And to me, today, because I'm sober, today, we'll wait and see what happens tomorrow. But because I'm sober today, today's a beautiful day. Every day is a great day for me. Well, thanks for letting me share. All right, tonight. All right, I'm going to put this down somewhere because I'm like Amy. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. Okay, cool. I don't, can we, do you want to turn it off or what? Okay, I'm going to set it right here. Anyway, my name is Mike McClellan, and uh, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, when Les asked me to speak here, you know, I'm sort of a split personality. One side of me said, oh, hell yeah. The other side of me said, hell no, you know what I mean? I don't want but, uh, but that's, you know, I have learned to, you know, not say no. Sometimes it hurts, you know, but but uh, I showed up here, and, uh, and, and really... Like uh, like Tony was saying, it's about service in this program. It really is, you know. You you just do the things that you feel like you don't want to do, and eventually you find out you kind of like it, you know. At least I do. So it feels good afterwards. But um, you know, I start out saying uh, I've been uh, I've been sober for 18 years now, a little over January 8, 2004. Yay. And uh, but let me let me put it this way, I haven't had a drink. In, in over 18 years. I don't know if I've necessarily been sober. My first sponsor would probably argue with you about that. But, uh, but anyway, I'll give you an example. I'm wearing this tam. I, you know, I really don't like hats, but I'm only wearing it because I got a really shitty haircut a few days ago. And I was so much talking to myself, you know, or to this guy, this new barber, that I really forgot what he was doing. And he just butchered me, you know what I mean? So, because... I love talking about myself. You know, that's the part of me that wants to show up here, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I also, I'm kind of like a self-centered and a, and a control freak. You know, uh, things I didn't realize till really, I, you know, a few years after I got sober, because I kept listening to what everybody was saying there. You know, and I knew there was some wisdom, and it was better sitting at home killing myself, you know. I was doing a pretty good job of that. But, <clears throat> so, well, yeah, I mean... It wasn't always like that. I was a kid, and I was a pretty healthy kid, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, I grew up in a pretty decent family. You know, there was a little bit of, little bit of violence here. It's sort of a normal stuff. I imagine a lot of families have that kind of stuff going on. Maybe. I don't know. But uh, I, I'll start at the beginning, really. I, uh, I was born on an American Air Force base in, in Burtonwood, England. My mom was English, and my dad was in the Air Force. So, <clears throat> And I flew over here. Uh, you know, they brought me over here when I was six weeks old. And, uh, you know, in Dora, on Bewitched, I got to sit in her lap, you know, the actress. And wow. that's sort of my claim to fame. <laughs> but uh, my dad grew up here in Glendora, and uh, and we this is where I grew up here all my life. You know, except for the times when I left here, but I, I could never leave, you know, completely. I, this is my home. It's where I really always 
come back to, you know. But, um, yeah, so I got here and just, it was, like I said, a normal, sort of a normal uh, childhood. My parents divorced when I was five, though, and, uh, and I had a stepdad. He was a blessing, you know. Uh, you know, uh, I don't really remember too, too much uh, about my real dad, and there was a lot of issues going on there. So, and I actually have a, not a, a strong memory of, of my life between like five and ten years old, maybe a few kind of kind of ugly images, you know. But and uh, life kind of rolled on, and you know, I just hung out with all the kids, did what kids did here in the '60s, growing up. You know, I was born in 1955, and uh, and uh, I just loved it here. I started noticing when I started going to school, you know, especially in high school, that. Uh, I felt I didn't fit in, but you know, it's like I said, I'm going to try to tell the truth, you know, another character defect of mine, you know, <laughs> you know that I reluctantly gave up, you know, and uh, if I didn't have a higher power, somebody was mentioned a little while ago, if it wasn't for Tony, if I, you know, if it wasn't for me learning to, and, and you know, and working hard to develop that uh, relationship with a higher power, I, you know, maybe I would probably still be drinking. You know, I was willing to listen to what anybody said when I got here. You know, they said, if you were willing to go to any lengths, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Because I'm, like I'm said, I'm sitting at home killing myself. I was, uh, I know it's an outside issue, but, you know, I was, I was drinking, like, the last four years, you know, I was drinking, like, one of those big giant bottles of Jack Daniels every day and putting meth in my arm and stuff, and, and it wasn't working out too good for me, you know. I was trying to run a small trucking company that I, that I managed to, uh, you know, still when I was, you know, last time I was in jail, yeah, the last time I was in jail. But, uh, so I spent 30 years driving trucks, but that's later on. Uh, I'll jump back. So I grew up around here, went to high school, uh, Char Oak High School. I graduated in 72, a little bit early, because, you know, I, I, mean, I thought it was smart, and they let me get away with that. And, uh, went to Mount Sac for a while, and I, then I dropped out of there because, uh, because I was drinking too much. You know what I mean? I actually showed up to Cal Poly to take an entrance exam and I was in a blackout I didn't realize until later and they sent me a letter saying well you know you did real good on the math and I wasn't good at math but you did shitty on the English and, and I was pretty good at English so but they said you came with the last day and you were drinking so we're really not gonna you know put you ahead of other people just because you scored higher so they said go to Mount Sac and I said oh, okay and there was a guy there used to be my swim coach at, in high school and he's and he went from Cal Poly over to uh, Sac just to you know, so a lot of people in my life have done that, I've noticed. They, uh, they were there for me even when I wasn't there for myself, you know what I mean? And my selfish uh, side didn't recognize it, you know, and I, it, it, but, you know, after years of sobriety, I do see where, uh, where my interpretation of the world was a whole lot different than what was really going on. And, uh, yeah, and, and I learned this, you know, from, uh, from what they say, take the cotton out of, let me get this right now, okay? Take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth, okay? So, <laughs> so I really did learn how to do that. Like I said, when I first got here, it was at Sick, Lame, and Lazy, and, uh, and I fit right in, Sick, Lame, and Lazy, you know? So, and that is the story. I mean, I worked hard all my life, but there's that other side of me that's really lazy, you know what I mean? Gets me in a lot of trouble. But uh, after I graduated high school, you know, uh, I, uh, I, well, I got a, I was working at a thoroughbred farm. My dad kept me all busy out in Chino, second largest thoroughbred farm in the world. And, and he would never let me sit around and do anything, you know, you know, get away with not doing anything. So he'd drop me out there on weekends and holidays, summer vacations. And whenever all the other kids were having fun, I was like shoveling shit and 
excuse my language, you know what I mean? And, uh, and feeding horses and going to the racetrack and walking, you know, show horses and stuff at the Oak Creek sales. I was an industrious little kid, bought a pickup truck at 16, and it was on then. 16 years old, little money in my pocket, working, you know, uh, walking horses at the racetrack. Uh, you know, I, like they say, giving alcoholic money might be the worst thing you can do for them, right? So, uh, and I was irresponsible in that way. I just drank, 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 and, you know, rolled a few cars. And, uh, and then a time came, <clears throat> I was about 18, I, uh, I bailed a friend out of jail, you know, and, uh, and I put my car up and I put, you know, a bunch of money up. That, you know, I even stole a riding saddle from my dad. And, uh, and the sound bitch said, excuse me, I keep cussing. The guy didn't show up, you know. And, uh, and so, and, and my logic and reason told me, well, you know, don't carry on, don't keep going. Just uh, do something drastic in your life. So I decided I'd join the Army, you know, not because I'm really patriotic or anything, but I couldn't pay the rent, you know, and uh, I had no money, and I was just uh, walking across the street late at night, drunk as hell, I said, I think I'll join the Army. The next day, I went down and joined the Army. Boom. A couple days later, I'm in Fort Knox, Kentucky, you know, and these guys thought that I was really, you know, that, you know, 16 weeks I was there, they thought that I was special and I, sh I should be able to have my own room and tell all these people what to do, you know what I mean? And I didn't want that. I just want people to leave me alone, you know, but they, they wanted me to be, you know, some sergeant before I was even out of basic training. So, And uh, I, I went along with it because I thought, well, they'll beat the shit out of me if I don't. So, um, so you know, everything was really good. You know, I enjoyed being in the Army, although I got letters, you know, you know, my mom, my mom read letters from me when I was in the Army saying that you were anything but happy, you know, but, but I went along, you know, and I, I even extended in basic for a year. So I was in for four years and they sent me over to Germany and it was on. I, I, anybody's ever lived in Germany before? Oh, the booze over there is fantastic. And but we were like downrange 10 months out of the year and, uh, you know, just, you know, shooting and shooting and shooting and, uh, you know, toting ammo everywhere. I was a, a scout, you know, and, a, and an armored personnel carrier. So we were always on the Czechoslovakia border doing border guard. But they would let us off a couple months out of the year back at, uh, you know, back at the rear, they call it. And you could really get in trouble, man. You know, and, and I did. You know, uh, got arrested two or three times. And, and they put up with me. And then I asked to rotate in the back of Fort Knox. I mean, uh, at uh, Fort uh, Carson in Colorado. And I decided I'd met my, uh, well, she kind of, Sort of tracked me down. She was a, 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 a nice lady that I dated in high school. She was beautiful, and I was like, ah, you know what I mean? I didn't know how to handle it. I was too young to know. I'm just thinking about myself all the time. Totally inexperienced with that stuff like love and everything. So uh, I ended up marrying her because she asked me to. And, uh, and you know what that's all about, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I was way out of my league on this thing, you know what I mean? I was like, uh, I was uh, way over my head. And uh, it lasted a couple years, and I just drank, 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 drank. Got out of the Army. They decided that, uh, they uh, they said they liked the idea that I liked to fight, but I was fighting the wrong people, you know? I was like fighting them, you know, <laughs> instead of fighting these other guys. So, uh, so I, I agreed. And they gave me a general under honorable conditions, you know, and uh, and they said, you know, you just drink too much, leave, you know, we won't get you in trouble. So I did, and I got out and uh, and I and I found the place, all the jobs that you can get where, and we divorced after two years, and it was kind of amicable. So um, so I started working like in construction, you know, because everybody drinks in construction. This is, I mean, it was really great. 
you know, and, uh, you know, th that was for OSHA again. I was in a plastering trade as a hod carrier. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with exterior plastering where they blow that stuff on the wall. Well, uh, you know, I, um, I was good at it, really good hod carrier, but I was drinking way too much and, yeah, I'm doing all that stuff way too much. And I started going to jail a whole lot. Then <coughs> I met my soon-to-be second hostage, you know, my, uh, my second wife, Laura, and uh, we shared a lot together just about the right things, you know. We were, like, you know, dealing drugs and all kinds of stuff. So I, you know, as I put, the, and she had kids, it was really, it was really embarrassing. I, it's one of the things that's on my four-step because I remember one time I got raided, and she had, like, toddlers, you know, when I met her. And they all come walking out, and they had cameras and the sheriffs with guns and everything, and they were, they were like, uh, you know, he comes walking out of his room, the oldest, he's like seven or eight, and he goes, are we on TV, Daddy? And I go, Wow. You know, I mean, I think back on that, all the danger I put people in, you know, and little kids and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, so, uh, like I say, me and my second wife had a, a lot in common. But when we stopped doing, you know, the, the drug stuff, and, and uh, I was still drinking because I you know, always thought drinking is you know, nothing wrong with dad. Hard day's work. You know, deserve to have a drink. I heard my mom say that about my dad. At the same time, she would come at him with a club and try to beat him up for it, you know. So who knows, you know, it was a little bit confusing in there. But, um, yeah, so I, I really quit drinking, sort of. I mean, I quit drugging, you know, I know this is AA, but I quit that stuff in about 1989, you know. And I decided I'm going to do like, a, well, I didn't know at the time, it was called geographical. I'm going to get the heck out of Dodge, you know. I got out of jail, just did a year for a violation, you know. So I get out of jail. And uh, I become a truck driver. And they didn't have computers, so they didn't know who was in jail, who wasn't. So, you know, I got a good job with a place, you know, a company called Missouri Nebraska Express. And they, they put this alcoholic in, a, in an 18-wheeler and let him drive all over the freaking country for years, afraid that I was going to, you know, be called to go to Canada. And they would, uh, the, you know, cat me out of the bag. But I did good. I mean, it was really amazing. I put my, uh, I put myself to the test. I managed to... Um, I managed to actually, within a couple years of, of, of getting out of jail, I managed to uh, buy a house, buy my own truck, and uh, put money in the bank. But I was still drinking. I was gone all the time. So it wasn't a good deal. I was gone like a month and a half, two months at a time. And, uh, and the wife got tired of that, you know. So things went on till, uh, no, for about 10 years. We got married somewhere along the line. So we got, uh, we got divorced in 1999, you know. So I did her keep everything, and I had uh, the house and all that stuff, which was almost paid off. And I just wanted my truck, you know, because that was my haven. That's where I went, you know. That's my bottle, in a sense, you know. That's where I go because I don't get along with people. And, you know, it, for me, it worked for years. I just, I'm in a truck driving around all the time. I don't have to talk to anybody. I can say, oh, I didn't damp chund, stop, you know, stop and get in a phone booth and stuff. So I was in hog heaven. It worked for a long time, you know, for a person who likes to isolate. It's really beautiful. I mean, it's an excuse. You know, you can get away with it. I, I remember I'd be home, I'd be out for a month and a half, two months. I'd come home for three or four days. On like the third or fourth day, the, the wife would say, well, you know, water heater needs to... Gotta go. See you later. You know, <laughs> you know, work's calling. You know, I leave it all on her, and which I did a lot of that. I dumped a lot of my responsibilities on people because I just love living all alone in my, in my truck. And... Uh, and uh, eventually I moved back into town here. So I was interstate trucking, and that was in Williamsburg, Arizona, where I was living. So I, um, I moved back here, and then, of course, you know, I, uh, uh, well, I got into the sand and gravel business, which my dad was in for years. 
So I'm, I'm living in a little apartment right off uh, Glendore Avenue and Alasta, Route 66 Center. And um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working local in the, in the you know, semi-end dumps and stuff, 18-wheel dump trucks. And, um, and some of the people I knew that I grew up with started coming around, you know. I even put aluminum foil on my, on my windows so people wouldn't know I was there, but it doesn't stop some people, you know. So, so um, you know, and I wouldn't answer the door sometimes. I was glad when a month would go by and nobody would have, you know, because I had a lot of crap I was carrying around with me, you know what I mean? And I, I was embarrassed to talk to people. I, I really thought everybody had nothing better to do than think about me, you know. And uh, I wasn't too happy with myself at the time. And it all really started catching up to me all alone. I couldn't wait to get back to, you know, from work. Go to my little, uh, you know, little apartment and drink this big bottle. And that was the last four years between 2000 or 1999 to 2004. And then, of course, I got hooked up with some guys that started doing this again. It really disappointed my stepdad, you know. I mean, he was okay with drinking, but that kind of monkey business is, you know, it's just not, it's not cool. It'll beat you up really hard. So, um, 2004, uh, January 8th. I was, uh, I called up a broker's home, a trader for, you know, it was kind of raining outside, and I called, and I knew this broker all my life, you know, and he didn't want me, him and, and my dad and other people didn't want me driving because they couldn't trust me, you know, I mean, I grew up in a family of truck drivers, and, you know, uh, brokers used to be, play Santa Claus for me, and most of them drank too, but they didn't trust me, and, and that kind of hurt, you know, because I asked my dad, I spent years learning how to drive a truck and drive an interstate, and I thought, well, I've proved myself to these people, you know, and, and, wow, you know, um, not not yet really not really but um so i i I sort of weaseled my way in my dad retired at 72 and i jumped in his truck used my license and uh and just went to work and everybody sort of accepted me but uh here i am around a bunch of guys who've been driving years and years and i'm at the front of the line i made enemies really bad you know i mean there's like 15 other drivers and i'm uh and i'm uh, a drunk who stepped in my dad's position and drivers can be vicious you know so uh, they they will smile in front of you, but you know, but they're really not they're really not on your side. So so I um, I drove for you know a good another four years with them, and um, and uh, finally I I really had enough. You know, I mean I woke up uh, one morning, I called that broker, and he said we're not working today. And I looked down, and um, and I had about that much whiskey in that bottle. It was about four thirty in the morning. And uh, I was thinking to myself, uh, you know, I, uh, I don't, maybe I don't need to drink. And I'm not a religious man, but uh, I, at least I never have been. But I found myself on my knees. It was like, I, I, where'd that come from? You know what I mean? And I'm like begging God, you know, to, to help me because I knew I was in trouble. You know, uh, you know, part of me really knew. And uh, it's the most earnest, honest thing I've ever done in my life was to say that prayer. I've never meant anything more than that. And, uh, and I got up and went in the other room. I remember looking up the ceiling. I was thinking, uh, I said to myself, you know, hey, God, you know, uh, please help me find some people who understand me. And that's, that's what I said to God looking up there. And I didn't believe in God. But, uh, and I found out later, you know, um, uh, you know, I couldn't even find my rear end with both hands. And somehow I managed to find an AA machine, you know. And, uh, and it was really strange. And there was a guy named Don. I forget what the lady's name was who also worked with Don. It was just within walking distance of my little apartment here, the, the San Gabriel Valley uh, 
you know, uh, central office, but I decided to drive at 4.30 in the morning. I was drunk. I was going to drive. You know, I, did. I got this little apartment, you know, because it was a bar 121 feet from my apartment. And, and a liquor store 172 feet away from it. You know, it was all planned out, too, so I wouldn't have to drive. But what do I do? I drive anyway, right? So drove down to central office, and he turned me on to a couple places I could go. And uh, that was on a Thursday. They, they, they told me about the other club. You know, and um, and I showed up there, and there was a guy out in the park. I'm not going to say his name. I love this man, but uh, he was the first guy I ever saw in AA, and uh, Howard. So, <laughs> so I see him out front, and I said, I said, you know, um, I said to myself, you know, I said, uh, oh, these are the kind of people I'm going to, you know, these are the people God sent me. I'm, a, I'm screwed, you know. <laughs> so I went into the other club, and uh, and I sat down. I, you know, I was like still hallucinating and stuff like this. And uh, and I thought that's okay. I'll do another one. He gave, he gave me two meetings. I went up to like Ruggles and Baseline later that night. And I'm like, the whole reason I really wanted to do this is because I, I wanted to stop. I'm going to take that needle out of my arm because I was afraid I'm going to lose my job. But I'm sitting there listening to these guys talk in this meeting, and uh, <coughs> I thought to myself, you know, I think I'm an alcoholic. That's my real problem, and it really is my problem. It always has been. I've thrown that other stuff away, but I've never had a reason in my head to throw alcohol away. But I, uh, so I remember during break time, we went outside and I was talking to some of the guys, you know, and, and I said, well, you know, do you think I could, uh, like, slam speed and still come to these meetings? <laughs> said, well, it really doesn't work like that, you know what I mean? You know, but, but in the heart of it, what I really wanted to do, and this is part of that prayer that I said when I was looking up there, you know, God, you know, help me find some people who understand me. I made up my mind that uh, that it, it wouldn't have been good enough to quit drinking. What I needed to do is change who I was, you know. And uh, and I recognized it was looking in the mirror and seeing this guy that's like three hundred something pounds. His eyes are all yellow and his skin's yellow. Going to the hospital across the street, one hundred seventy-five feet away, so I could get hooked up to IVs and stuff. So you know, and then the doctors would laugh at me when I asked for painkillers because my kidneys hurt and stuff. That's what it's like being an alcoholic, right. and, and, you know. So. Um, so, uh, I don't know, I, uh, <laughs> I wanted to change who I was. And I realized I had some really embarrassing behavior. Some of them, I, I'll tell you, but some of them I really won't. I mean, it took me a long time to tell my first sponsor about some of this stuff. But, uh, I mean, I had stupid stuff that I could share easily and sort of get the weight off. But, uh, I mean, just as an example, I remember one time, excuse me, I'm like, um, it's like 1.30 in the morning. I'm at the Rouse down there, and they have uh, these big bottles of Jack Daniels on sale. I thought, well, you know, I'm going to go down there because they're still on sale, and I only have about that much left in the bottle. I don't know if it'll make it till morning. I was like, Friday night, I didn't have to work the next day. So I go down, and I'm waiting in line, and uh, it, it ticks up to 2 o'clock, and I didn't know it. So I got up there, and the lady in the cash register says, you know, uh, we can't sell this to you. And I go, why not? You know, you can't sell me booze. And she said, well, it's after 2 o'clock. I, I start screaming and yelling at her because... You know, I mean, you know, I was here before 2 o'clock. I'm standing in line. She goes, well, I just can't sell it to you. And then I realized I'm standing there in nothing, nothing but these orange boxers, uh, fluorescent orange boxers that says, cat in the head, I do not wish to fall. That's all I had on in public, you know what I mean? And screaming and yelling at the lady because she wouldn't give me the, my booze, you know? And there's a lot of things that I've you know, never been arrested for that I should have been. Thank God they didn't catch me. Or you got my fourth step for me really, really bad, you know what I mean? But that's just a, a one of a million things that I've done. And, and to this day, it kind of haunts me. 
because, you know, I mean, I, you know, I've been sober a while and I've learned to hold my head up high, but there are times when I, I'll dodge somebody that's coming at me and I think they know something about me and I, and I just can't handle it, you know what I mean? And, uh, but, I mean, I'm a lot better than I used to be 18 years ago, but uh, there's some things that are just so embarrassing that, you know, I won't even argue and fight about it. I'll just walk away, you know, and that used to be my MO. It was terrible, man. You know, walk away and get my truck and take off. But I, uh, <clears throat> some of these guys at that meeting up at Ruggles, they suggested, I guess I was eyeballing some women and stuff like this, you know. And they said, you know what, we know a, re a really good meeting is probably good for you. It's called the Sick, Lame, and Lazy. It's a stag meeting. And I go, what the hell is that? That's crazy. You know, and, uh, and I said, a stag meeting, it, it, that piqued my interest. You know, it must be special meeting or something. So they, and they, they told me about it. And I showed up the next day. And uh, it was great. I, I walked in and everybody shook my hand and I was the most angry person in the world. There's guys today still say they've never seen anybody angrier than me when I first got here. I mean, I, I'd be, you know, the first 30 days, 60 days, I'd be sitting there, you know, watching people when you when I'm sharing and somebody be talking to somebody else is like, the hell are you talking about, you know? <laughs> like this, when people look, and I did that to Bob Devine one time. He's like, oh. I'd be standing outside, people would stand about an arm's length away from me when they would talk to me during a break, you know what I mean? I mean you know, I, I didn't recognize all this stuff. But then after about 30 days or so, uh, you know, I got better after a while. But after about 30 days, well, excuse me, a guy named Richard Cheney came up to me as my first sponsor, asked me um, if I wanted to uh, have him be my sponsor. And I didn't even know what a sponsor was. I heard people talking all these things. I knew somehow they made sense. One day at a time, you know, uh, all these kind of things. They made sense to me, but I didn't know why. But uh, it made sense to me to say yes to this guy. And then he, uh, and, I, and I, I heard later that all the sickest people, not that I'm the sickest person, but all the sickest people seem to gravitate toward Richard Cheney. You know? So I end up uh, with Richard Cheney, and, you know, some of the wisest things. Oh, by the way, Howard was great. I remember, uh, you know, I met Howard later at Sick, Lame, and Lazy. Fell in love with the man, and he, like, um, I remember one time the guys used to tell me, hey, you know what, uh, you should give Howard a ride home because he doesn't have a car. And I did it, I did it for, like, maybe four or five times and stuff. And then I come up with some of the guys afterwards and I said, uh, I said, you know, uh, that guy ain't right, you know. I mean, why do I have to get him rides home? You know, he's, uh, you know, there's something wrong with that guy. And I, I got 30 days sober, right? And uh, and uh, and uh, I remember some of the guys said, well, you know, how long have you been sober? And I go, 30 days. And they said, well, how long has he been sober? And I go, 32 years, I think. And he said, well, <laughs> okay, you know what I mean? Yeah, obviously he knows something you don't, you know. And and then there was times I'd ride I'd ride home with. I remember the first time he said I used to think he was babbling, and then he said something that just straight up made me sit up. Made my and I said, God, that guy knows what he's talking about. He knows how to stay sober. He really does. And uh, we became friends. And uh, he's lost to uh, the world somewhere. I haven't been able to talk to him in a long time. I know where he is. I wish I knew. But um, he helped me be sober. Everybody in this program helped me be sober. I kept coming back, and they told me to keep coming back. And I did because, you know, I felt safer in these meetings than I did at home. I mean, that first 30, 60 days, I would sit at home and, and listen to uh, voices, you know, and, uh, and see things on the ground, you know, moving around and stuff like this. And those voices sometimes would just, oh, you know. And uh, I'd, be, I'd be honest with you, I was kind of scared. But over the years, I learned how to, uh, you know, with the help of everybody in the program, Sickly Malaysia, I learned really how to take a more honest look at myself. Not always easy. Even to this day, it's not always easy. 
But uh, it wasn't until maybe five or six years ago I started rolling this uh, word around called trust. And I didn't know why it happened, you know, and it just popped into my head one day, and, it's, and I started realizing the, the significance of it, you know, in, in regards to a higher power, you know, because um, even up to the point when I was 12, 13, 14 years sober, I still didn't understand the whole concept of, of trusting in a higher power. I mean, I was still operating on ego to a large degree. I had been sober for quite a while, but not really. And uh, I still had a lot of anger in me, but I learned how to suppress it. Probably not a good idea. But, um, and then Richard eventually passed away. I remember uh, a, a thing he used to tell me once in a while. I'd call him and yell at him for, you know, five minutes. And then he'd, after I was done, he'd say, you know what? You're exactly what God wants you to be. You know, for some reason, that just calmed me down. You know, I just really loved it when he said that. And, uh, you know, and, and we worked the steps, went about the deal. And then he, uh, he passed away about six, seven years ago. And then uh, I chose another man to be my sponsor. His name was Bill Wilson. Imagine a lot of people know Bill Wilson. He was really hooked in to, to the AA community. He loved it. He loved the people. And, and I love being with him because um, he told me one day, well, he looked exactly like my real dad. And he laughed like him. It was almost like a, like a reincarnation of my dad. It was like, it, and we used to laugh about that. And we used to laugh about the fact that he shared so many of my character defects. And it, uh, that was lovely to have a sponsor that wasn't, you know, he was serious about the program, but I could laugh with him. And, and I, t- I got to tell you, folks, I haven't laughed in years. Like when I first came to, you know, the meetings, they, they said I was the most angry guy. I'm, I'm not kidding you. I was. I mean, I would just, I, I mean, everybody was out to get me, you know what I mean? I didn't get over that for a long time. Probably took two or three years. But uh, Bill Wilson was great. I only, you know, I was only able to keep him for about three or four years, and then he passed away. And then uh, God's blesses me so much and I, I don't even realize the blessings that I've gotten from God you know until time so I look back and, and, and see how my life's rolled out you know uh, I wouldn't have found AA if it wasn't for it wasn't for God you know uh, couldn't have found my like I said my butt with both hands and I realized I look back at how everything just despite myself I always ended up where I was supposed to be to stay sober all I had to do is want to keep coming back you know and then um and then I, I waited for two or three months, you know, because, you know, my head's running and I can do this by myself. And who needs a sponsor? I may have to tell him something, you know what I mean? He may ask me to work a four-step, you know, and, and all that stuff that your head tells you when, you know, when, you, when you're an egomaniac. And, uh, but then I finally said, I better go get it because, you know, my head's running away from me. So I can only think of one guy. And there's my sponsor right there. I don't know if he reminds me saying so. It's Bob Garcia. And uh, we click, you know, and... Um, and he's, he's kind of like Richard in a way, and kind of like Bill Wilson in a way. He, he always says the right thing whenever I need, need to hear the right thing, you know. And uh, so that's kind of like where I am right now. Somewhere along the line, I, I had a knee replacement about six years ago, and I was living in a little apartment down here, and uh, I felt kind of dejected, you know, because I really wanted to go back to driving a truck, and the Social Security said, I was 61, they said, forget it, go do something else. You're never going to be uh, a truck driver again, you know. I was kind of depressed about that, but that's that's where I go to hide, you know. So I had to join the real world. I decided to go back to school, and, and my mom calls me on the phone. I'm 61. She says, "Come up, take care of me. I think I'm dying." She has a real nice home up in Asperia, and I said, "Okay, well, you know, I, I know nothing else to do. Why sit down here? I went up to take care of her. Now I used to get along with her, okay, but when I moved up there, boy, I think a lot of it had to do with me. You know, 61 years old, living with your mom, you know." 
you know, on Social Security. I felt like, well, I was thinking about me, of course, all the time, right? And, uh, and I missed the whole opportunity to really get closer to her. And we argued and screamed and yelled. And then, lo and behold, she died when she said she was going to. And uh, we never resolved the things when I, that, I, that I, I wished I would have. But, you know, that's not the way to do it. You can't look back and say, oh, I wish I would have done that. It's, it's worthless kind of a thought, and it can only defeat you and hurt you. But it, I grew a lot out of that. And I realized that, uh, you know, I, um, I got to get out of my head. You know, I got to talk to people, even when I think I don't need to. And I wasn't going into a program, but I was going to school. And I was going to school because I was going to get on my white horse and save the world and be a counselor. You know, so uh, it started out, I, I went, went to school, and, and I, I dropped out of Mount Sac, and I, but I always wished I would have completed math classes and stuff just to prove I could do it. And I did. I got all A's. It was just amazing. I've gotten all A's except for one B for this. I won't call it that. You know, you know. Yeah, she was in a, in a, a what do you call it, a, a public speaking class. She gave me a B. I had an 89. I was really pissed at her because I had all A's and everything I did. I, I got an associate's, went down to San Bernardino Valley and got, uh, you know, completed my certificate for alcohol substance abuse. I've been interning at a place, uh, first of all, for seven or eight months. I went out of business called Pine Ridge up in, uh, up in the high desert. Then I jumped over an outpatient clinic uh, in heart of Victorville. I've been there about seven months, so I have about another five, six hundred hours, and you know, I can take the state exam. Whoopee, you know, but the whole thing is that I don't know if I want to be a counselor. It's not what I thought it was going to be, you know. I mean, I'd rather be a security guard, to be honest with you. And that's the truth. You know what I mean? I just want to sit there. I just want to sit there and watch a building or something and get some money to go home. I don't. Yeah, I don't want to write reports. And, and you know, and it, it just takes
My name is Bob Garcia. I'm alcoholic. And um, there's only one speaker usually, but he asked me to split it with him. Oh. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, actually, about a month ago, Les asked me to speak, but I, there was some, um, I think there was some, uh, Santa had a wins that night and I had a cold, so I didn't want to do it. But um, Mikey asked me to split it with him. He said he, he wasn't sure he wanted to do it. He said, no, let's do it, you know. So anyway, I'm glad I'm here tonight. I'm glad you guys are here. And um, I was thinking, you know, Tony and Mike sharing, that's a great night tonight here at the park. You know, I've only been here to this meeting a few times. First time was when Bob Bro spoke, you know. And um, that's good because I've seen him come in. I've seen him. I've known him for a long time as well, you know. And, um, and a few months ago, um, Dan Brownwood spoke. You know, I don't know who else was here, but... Um, and I've known him a while too. I used to um, go to meetings a lot with his dad, Bruce. Some of you guys know him, you know. And, um, but um, you know, and, um, tonight, you know, Mikey sharing. I, me and Tony seen him come in, and um, I've been to that apartment he was talking about. That apartment was something else. I couldn't believe he was there. <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to go in, you know. <laughs> but he, I needed to help him out with something, and I'm like, I need to get. I got out of here, you know. It's right there in between the Taco Bell, by the Taco Bell right there in the corner there, you know. Our place was that bar, you know. That's, oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the walking distance bar that he was talking about, you know. And, um, our place. Yeah, our place, you know. And, um, <laughs> that's it, huh? And I forget the name of that liquor store, H&I or something. Yeah. Something like that. H&H. H&H, H&H. there you go. <laughs> but, um... I don't know. Um, my experience, strength, and hope, you know, I guess is what I'm supposed to be here for 30 minutes or however long. And Mikey did good. 30 minutes on the money. You know what I mean? Yeah, right there, dude. I was hoping you'd go longer, but... Um... <laughs> and by the way, Tony, before I tell you tomorrow, I was the one who told Fernando to have you lead. So <laughs> it was me. Anyway, um, you know, my experience, strength, and hope is, um, simply put, this program works. You know, that's it. This program works. I can't believe it. I've seen it in Mike. I've seen it, you know, other people. Sometimes I don't see it in myself, you know. But this program works well if you work it. And, um, I was 21 and a half years old when I made it here. And um, kind of like Mike was saying, too, you know, I um, I was trying to get away from that other stuff I was dabbling in, you know. And um, even my family would rather see me drinking. They just tell me, just drink, you know, don't even do that other stuff, you know. And, um, and I'm like, uh, okay, I'll try, you know, I'll try just to drink. <laughs> and it never ended up, you know, I get back into the other stuff, too. And um, as far back as when I was 15, you know, I was, I was coming out here. I grew up in the Philippines, you know, and um, I was my, kind of my first geographic. I was 15. I was coming out here to be reunited with my mom. And, um, you know, my dad told me. Before getting on the plane, you know, the night before or so, you know, just in case, you know, you feel like you get airsick, you know, I never been on a plane at that time, you know, just get that barf bag in front of you, throw up there. And if you get nervous, you know, ask the stewardess for a drink. It's free, you know, whatever. And back then it was free in the early 80s, you know, and um, beer, little bottles of liquor, you know, and, um, and he said, but whatever you do, don't bring none of that other stuff on the plane. You get popped by the customs. There's nothing we can do. <laughs> I can't bail you out there, you know. And I, and I followed him. 
so ordered that because my friends were telling me, oh, no, here's how you do it. You know, this, my friends were telling me how to do that. You know, and, uh, I didn't. So anyway, that's my first geographic, you know, or trying to get away from whatever I was dabbling with and drinking, you know. And I moved back east to my mom and my her new family. She had a new family in Pennsylvania. And I remember the first weekend we were there, there was a church fair, and we went to the church fair. And they had one of those big bouquet baskets of whatever, three three tickets for a dollar, I remember. You know, like like a 50-50 raffle or whatever. But it's three tickets for a dollar. And it was full of um, liquor, liqueur, you know. And my mom's like, yeah, you know, three tickets for a buck. Here, here's a buck. Go get that. And I go, no, I don't want, I don't want to lose a dollar on this, you know, raffle. Go, no, go ahead, do it, do it. I'm like, no, nah, I don't want. And I hadn't seen my mom in nine years. You know, she left when I was six. She came out here, and I had one of those moms that, um, you know, just disappeared. There was four of us kids, so my dad kind of raised us. And um, anyway. I remember telling my mom, you know what, if I win that, I'm going to drink it, okay? Everything. And she didn't know I could do it, you know? Or I, I was serious, maybe. I don't think my dad told her what was going on with me. Believe it or not, I won that bouquet of baskets, you know? And it was all a bunch of liqueur that, you know, amaretto, all these things that I don't drink. I, I, I was into lick, hard liquor already. And I think there was a couple of bottles of whiskey. So that's about it, you know? And, um, I would have too, but... What was going through my mind then? And I had just moved into this town in a suburb of Philadelphia. And near the high school, and my stepdad was a teacher, I was thinking, you know what? I'm going to hang around the parking lot, have a couple of these bottles, and trade it for some dope. <laughs> I'm 15. You know, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, I'm glad I didn't do it. You know what I mean? Because my dad, like I said, my stepdad was teaching at that elementary school. I had two little sisters, half-sisters, you know? <sighs> But that's, that's how I, you know, that's my, my, um, I remember too, with my stepdad, he was cool, he's a nice guy, you know, and, um, he didn't know that my mom had a family. <laughs> I felt bad for him, he passed away about 10 years ago, and at that time, 10 years ago, we were both, like, eye to eye, he was almost gonna tell me, I'm glad, I, that, um, my dad was lucky to get away from my mom, <laughs> but, uh, I know, it seems cold, but, anyway, um, uh, I remember telling my stepdad back then, too, you know, I was reading the, popular mechanics, you know, and the back of it, there's, you know, you can make you brew your own beer by the kit, you know. <laughs> so I remember calling the number, you know, the call is 800, it's COD, whatever, no checks, or I had a little money, you know. I go, okay, can you deliver it? Oh, we need someone to sign it off. I go, okay. I asked my stepdad, hey, Russ, can you sign off? I'm, I'm having a kit delivered from popular mechanics. What is it? I can do it, put it in the basement, you know, how to brew your own beer. He goes, no, you're not getting that, you know. <laughs> but that's it, you know, that, I, I don't know. He was a real nice guy, you know. He was, he helped me out a lot, you know, and um, but I stayed sober there for about a year or so, you know, until I saw where the smoke was coming from. But then I was graduating high school and um, graduated high school there and um. I was going to join the service to the Navy, not because I was patriotic either. <laughs> and just a bunch of the guys I was running around with at that time was going to join it, you know. And, um, and um, I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. Like, like we were ever going to see each other once we went into boot camp, you know. <laughs> but um, anyway, um, I, um, I didn't get to, no one signed my, my name off. You know, I was under 17 and a half years old. I wasn't 18, and I was asking, you know, 
my mom, my dad, hey, can you, I want to join the Navy. He goes, no, you're not joining the Navy. you crazy. You're going to get drunk and you're going to all over the, you know, they find me in the middle of the sea dead. And um, so I, that didn't work out. I ended up going to college a little bit and, um, you know, I, um, I tried to, I tried to get into business school and I was taking some accounting classes. I remember back then they had these big, you know, whatever paper to do the books or whatever. And I was just so wasted at one time, you know, I, I, everything was just going crazy. And I, and, um, I gave that up. Um, so, um, around that time too, my grandma got sick, you know, and, um, and, um, my, um, she was in a coma. They already gave her the last rites. We were in the room. And, um, and, um, my, um, other family members were going up to her and kind of like promising her, you know, if you, you know, I don't know, praying something. I forget what they were doing. Just, I know one of my aunts said, if you live through it, you know, told my grandma, her mom, she won't divorce her husband or something like that. You know, stupid little things that they were doing. Then it was my turn, you know, and they're like, go up there, Bob, tell your grandma, promise her something kind of and I didn't know what to say and goes tell her you're not going to do drugs anymore I'm like oh shit you know and there was a bunch of family members right my cousins and stuff and we were just in a little hospital room so I go up and go grandma I'm never going to use drugs no more and I know it's an AA meeting but I'm sorry so I step out in the hallway there and my oldest cousin he was a few years older than me and goes because he felt so bad for me that I had to do that you know in front of everyone <laughs> He goes, Bob, you know what? Yeah, just don't do that. Just drink. Just drink. You know what I mean? Don't, don't do that crap no more. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'll just do that. You know? <laughs> but still didn't work. You know, it still wasn't working. Um, it wasn't until I was, um, I guess, 20 years old already, because um, that's when I first got my DUI down in West Covina. And um, a year later, within a year later, I got my second DUI. I was 21 and a half years old, and um, I didn't do nothing for my first DUI, so um, the judge didn't like it. Um, I ended up going straight to um, Wayside, and I, I was working at a, a phone company back then already. I was there a few months the first time they popped me, so about a year when the second time they popped me, I was still at that um, phone company. I remember calling my office you know, collect from jail. Hi, um, you know, I'm calling collect. <laughs> so it was the phone company. They knew what the deal was. <laughs> they knew I was incarcerated somewhere, you know, and I didn't care. So I told them, hey, I don't think I'll be able to make it, you know, the next couple days, tomorrow or whatever. Today to work, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm not able to, you know, so whatever. Yeah. And then when they were shipping me, I, when they were shipping me to um, Wayside, you know, I get up to Wayside and I call them again and go, I think it's going to be a little longer. I'm a little further. <laughs> and my family couldn't track me down either. They wanted to bail me out. The judge didn't want to give me bail, you know. And, um, <laughs> that's just, I don't know, I couldn't believe. And the reason I got hired by the phone company a year or so before that was because I was going to be a scab. I didn't even know what that was. You know what I mean? I was going to, they hired a bunch of us to cross the picket line. And one of the things they were negotiated that they were able to get was the EAP and the drug rehab, you know, like a, oh, a, the, big book, and the big book, the big book, to employers, basically. That's what it is, you know. Mm -hmm. 
just so they would have that. And I didn't know, you know, somehow, when you're talking about it, you know, but for the grace of God, you know, <laughs> I was there, I was, even though I was crossing the picket line or whatever, in between, you know, and um, they negotiated that and they got that. And I, and it, I got to take advantage of it, you know. Because after I, um, after I got popped that time and got sent to Wayside, I, um, they told me that, um, you know, I, th I thought for sure I'd be fired. You know, I was just, actually, my last drink, my last drunk was right before the cop. I was coming down, I was, there was a bar here in, um, in front of APU, Citrus and, and uh, Alasta. There was a pub and it was Thursday night, you know, whatever, ladies night special and stuff, you know. And, I'm, and, <laughs> and um, I was coming down Citrus and I lived in West Covina back then. I was, I was gonna come. I was coming down Citrus, and I was, needed to make, make a ride on Arrow. And I just, I was with a buddy in the car, and um, there was a cop car coming up, turning, making the left up to Citrus. And I, I almost didn't care. I was just gonna go straight ram that cop car. You know what I mean? It's one of those crazy. I don't know. My friends like, no, don't do it. You know. <laughs> I pulled on the handbrake turn and did one of those drifts, you know. I'm like, whoa, that's pretty good, you know. Whatever. Quarter mile later, this cop car got me, you know. I, he comes up, you know, I had a big wad of gum. Boom. He goes, spit that gum out. <laughs> <laughs> Run my place. And um, anyway, <laughs> that's how I got, that's my last drunk, you know. And, um, so I was, I was in, um, I was in, um, Wayside, like I said, a couple of weeks, maybe, I forget. Um, I know it was Cinco de Mayo when I was getting transported from county jail to um, Wayside. And um, I was thinking, you know, in that black and white bus, you know, and back then there wasn't air conditioned, you know. And I'm seeing the crappiest jalopy car in the freeway going, I'd rather be in that car than this chained up to this, my new buddy, you know. <laughs> they get getting taken up to Wayside, you know. Anyway, um, I got out. Before that, you know, I, um, we, my family already had planned a trip up to Canada. So between my first DUI and my second DUI, they had planned a trip there, and we were gonna, I was going to go there. I, I got family in Toronto as well, so I was going to go there. And um, they, I was doing so well, they said that they were lining up to pay for my plane ticket. And I said, no, no, I'm paying for it. Don't worry. I got, I got a little money, you know, I'll take care of it. And I did, you know, and um, what do I do? A couple of weeks before that, I get to jail, you know, and um, but when I got out of that jail, May 11, 1987, early in the morning, and you know, that's how you get released, you know, at night, you know, start the process like at whatever, nine o'clock. By the time I got out that early morning, I, um, I made it to my brother's apartment. He had an apartment by LAX. I um, I took a long bath, <laughs> and um, I had a flight that morning, eight o'clock in the morning, that had been planned, like I said, a month or two before. I non-stop to Toronto, you know, and I remember being able to get out of jail at five, make it to LA, my brother's apartment at six, and make it out of that flight by eight somehow. And I get there, and um, right, American Airlines, I remember, there's a bar in the middle there before you board. Um, I go up there, whatever, 7 o'clock, 7.30, and I go, let me have a Long Island iced tea, you know. 
And I remember everyone at the bars looking at me like, what's this guy doing, you know? And I made sure it was Long Island iced tea, not regular iced tea, you know? Other people were having coffee and orange juice. And he, he makes it, you know, and I pay for it, and I go, that was my last drink. And uh, I didn't think it was going to be my last drink, otherwise I would have dragged some more, you know? <laughs> In fact, when I got on that plane, that nonstop flight for five, six hours, I just laid down in the middle and slept. You know, I came, I woke up and I was in, I was in Canada already. And then, um, you know, I, of course, you know, that little reunion, my news, you know, what I've been up to was uh, fresh out of jail, you know what I mean? <laughs> no one ever went to jail for drinking, you know, and here's me, 21 years old. But I still had a bunch of people offering me, you know, hey, you can just mellow out out here, you know, somewhere. Canada, back to the Philippines, East Coast. Somehow I came back, you know, and um, I faced up, you know, and um, the company, the phone company sent me to a um, care unit. Back then in the 80s, that was real popular, you know, care unit outpatient. For six months, I had to go. And then, of course, the judge gave me probation for, I forget, suspended sentence, one-year court card, you know, and I'm like, dang, you know, I got to do all this. And he took my license, and I don't even get to drive my car, and I'm paying for it, and they... My family took my car away just so I don't drive it, you know? And I had to work, and I had to go to rehab, and I was able to do it, taking the bus from West Covina to Almani. And then um, got my license back and got to drive again. But in between that, you know, the care unit people, well, the psychiatrist took me in, and um, he said, um, did the intake, you know? And then they let me out in the group that first night. We were around the group, half a dozen of us or so, and they were all, you know, identifying themselves. Hi, my name is whatever, and I'm alcoholic, addict, whatever they were. And it was my turn. I just said, oh, yeah, my name is Bob. You know, what are you here for? I'm just here. You know, the judge sent me. I don't get it. <laughs> if I could have told him I was visiting, I would have. You know what I mean? But <laughs> the psychiatrist doctor who just did my intake goes, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Bob's confused, you know what I mean? <laughs> he doesn't know it yet, but he's an alcoholic. <laughs> For now, we'll just call him a walking drugstore. I'm like, oh, shit, I don't want that, you know? But, um, so anyway, I stuck it out there. I wasn't drinking, and um, I wasn't juicing either, and then um, they told me I had to go to a meeting. And I'm like, well, AA meeting? A year ago, and the judge gave me, some guy at my work, you know, my work, my office mates knew that I had gotten that ticket or whatever I had to go to AA so I asked this one guy hey um this AA deal what is it you know he goes oh yeah that's a bunch of older guys they meet in the back of a church you know <laughs> they smoke a lot of cigarettes and they drink coffee you know and then um and they say personal things about themselves he's told me you know and I'm like really like I care he goes yeah 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 and then they want you to say personal things about yourself and I'm like, really? What the heck do they care? You know, yeah. And, um, and you think that's bad, he said. At the end of the thing, you hold hands and pray, Bob. I'm like, no way. I ain't going there. You know what I mean? So, anyway, so finally I had to be going to AA because the care unit was going to kick me out. The probation was going to report me to the judge. So finally, the last weekend that I had to get my card signed, my family drops me off. Big book study, West Covina, Cameron and Azusa, meeting that Jean Barnes started. A bunch of you guys remember Jean Barnes, you know? And she was on my first meeting. 
That's why I used to come to the Friday night meeting at Glen Kirk, because I knew when Jean was going there, because I'd always come up to her, and she's always nice to see her, you know, and um, she's seen me come in, you know, and um, she, knows, she knows me, you know. In fact, uh, the story I say is um, the first meeting I was at, it was a big book study, kind of like what we had at Glen Kirk, you know, and they'd go around the room, you know, and it was my turn to either read or share, and all I said was, no speak English. <laughs> yeah, that's how much I wanted to belong. You know? <laughs> I was hoping I'd never see any of you guys again. You know, <laughs> but, uh, someone said you just did outside. <laughs> but uh, I think Gene said, "No, no, no, don't worry. If he doesn't want to share, it's okay. Let him go. Let him go." Anyway, I remember. <laughs> few months later, I was going to go back to that meeting to, to apologize and say, no, no, really. <laughs> but then you asked full of it, you know what I mean? I met my first sponsor at that meeting, though, a guy, a guy named Manuel Rivera, Jay, and um, he told me, Bob, I'm here for long-term sobriety. If you want long-term sobriety like me, I go to a men's stag, Lark Ellen, 12 by 12, Thursday nights. And, uh, Manuel, I'm just here for a court card. Who's talking about long-term? You know what I mean? I ain't talking long term. You know? Six months, maybe learn how to drink like a gentleman, get the scare unit off my back, maybe a year at the most, just because of this court card so the judge don't send me back. I remember either two or three years for the probation, suspended sentence, whatever. Just, I don't want to go back to jail, you know? And, um, and somehow I made it to that 12 by 12 stag meeting in um, Lark Ellen. That's where I met, like I said, um, Bruce bunch of other guys, Richard Cheney, and they're talking about a um, bunch of other guys that were from here back then. Les would remember, you know, that's one of the biggest meetings on a Saturday night, especially that speaker's meeting they had. They had the heavy hitters. Um, I'd listen to their tape, you know, Chuck Chamberlain. I remember hearing his son speak with his with um, Chuck Chamberlain's wife, Elsa, you know. I seen him, her there, and um, Norm Alpey wife, I, you know, Norm Alpey passed away already, but I'd listen to their tapes and I'd go up to those spouse, those widows, you know, afterwards and go, hey, uh, you know, I really like how Norm spoke and all that, you know, and um, I remember Betty Alpey would tell me, you know, he's just another drunk like you, doing this thing one day at a time, passing on what was passed on to him. Don't put him on no pedestal. I go, wow, that's something else, you know. And I'm so fortunate that I ran into those guys at the, I made it to that meeting for years, you know. 15 years about and um, going to that because it was right close by where I lived. Bruce lived close by. Another guy, Jim Andrews, lived close by. A bunch of guys would be living up here and going down there. So um, I made, got involved in a lot of H&I. You, you know, we used to do panels in Glendora Jail. So I don't know if Brian's still around. But, uh, you know, I remember he was coming around here. It's always nice to see him too, you know, old man Brian. Um, he's still smoking. I'm like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> Brian, you know, still smoking. And um, so um, it's always good to see that. You know, even Les. You know, Les knew my long-term sponsor, Kenny Lewis, you know. And um, Jimmy Draper and them guys. But um, one day at a time, you know, this program that I, <laughs> I'd be the last person back then. I remember I had like a, they had me do a 15-minute deal at Lark Ellen Saturday night one time after a couple of years maybe you know 
and it must have sounded like my exit strategy in this program. You know, <laughs> like you, sometimes you hear it with people. You know, oh, that sounds like they're gonna go out pretty soon. You know what I mean? They're planning it. It's there, and they soon enough they do. It seemed like that's what I was maybe thanking them. Thank you for the past couple of years. You know, what I, mean? <laughs> I think I'm well now. I'm gonna move. I'm gonna move on down. To, you know, get back to the gutter where I belong. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, a couple of guys come up to me and goes, Bob, a couple old timers, you know, and they were the, they were at the WW2, they tell me, the big war, you know, we were there in the Philippines when you were, you know, the war, when you talk about drinking that coconut still, that's more potent than white lightning, they tell me, all you have to do is punch it and you're alcoholic, Bob, so you belong here, don't tell me you don't belong here, you know? and I believe them, you know, and um, there's something else. Um, 20 years ago, I moved up here. I got married, and um, and now we have two boys, you know, um, 20 and um, 18. And I see them, and I see myself, you know, the way I was when I was their age. And that's something, but for the grace of God, you know, I mean, I don't know how grateful and how I could ever, to me, the only way I could think is some. Um, that higher power that we found that the book is read is written so we can find it through the steps. That purpose of this meeting, seeing everyone, staying practicing the principles, passing on what was passed on to me, you know, and just seeing that um one day at a time, if we if we are just show up and don't pick up that drink, don't bend that elbow, they used to say, I was bending the elbow, yeah, hey, don't drink, you know what I mean? It gets better, inevitably, no matter what, it gets better. And that's something, but for the grace of God, you know, I mean, I don't know how grateful and how I could ever, to me, the only way I could think is some, um, that higher power that we found that the book is read is written so we can find it through the steps. That purpose of this meeting, seeing everyone, staying practicing the principles, passing on what was passed on to me, you know, and just seeing that um one day at a time, if we if we are just show up and don't pick up that drink, don't bend that elbow, they used to say, I was bending the elbow, yeah, hey, don't drink, you know what I mean? It gets better, inevitably, no matter what, it gets better. You pick up that drink, do whatever else, you do, the other thing you're not supposed to do, it gets worse, guaranteed, they told me, you know? Yeah. And to think, you know, I remember when I was new to, um, my manager at work who stood up for me to, to be brought to that to that um, rehab place, she, she said, you know, she stuck up for me with her manager and just sent me to rehab instead of firing me because her right. uncle was alcoholic. But he, she, I, was, I remember telling her, what do you mean I can't drink no more for the rest of my life one day at a time? Give me a break, Sid. And, I, and she retired. She, she retired since, but um, so she goes, well, Bob, yeah, one day at a time, you know, she was explaining it to me. She needs program. I go, I told her, what if I'm not getting married? Can I have a champagne toast? 
<laughs> yeah, you know what she told me? She said, do you have a girlfriend right now, Bob? I go, nope. What the fuck are you thinking about getting married already? <laughs> the thing is, she retired. Uh, she lived in Norco. She had horses up in Norco, driving all to El Monte. And I would be late coming from West Covina to El Monte going to work. And she's like, I come from Norco. She's one of those, you know. Anyway, she retired. And I'm, I was doing panels after a few years in the program up at CRC. You, know, you guys ever been up to CRC in Norco, right? So I get there, and somehow the first time that uh, one of the first times that they needed the license before you can go in without a license, I was able to go in. Now they needed identification, and I forgot because I wasn't driving. So I was outside the nice, you know, naval old hospital CRC. I go, let me call Sid. She's retired. She's here in Norco. Sid, guess what? I'm here in CRC. Supposed to be going in to do a meeting, but I'm outside and I couldn't go in. Do you want to meet up? I swear, I'm outside this time. I'm outside. I'm not inside. You know what I mean? She comes over, and she hangs out with me, you know? And she was just to see that years ago or something else. And like I said, being able to enjoy tonight, you know, Les, seeing you, Tony, being able to lead, and Mikey, I don't know if he, I don't think he left, but he should be here. Anyway, oh, there you go. Sorry. And thank you. Thank you for having this meeting. All right, can I get a volunteer to uh, read the promises and pray us out? Yeah, all right. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share. I'm less alcoholic. Need help cleaning up, so if anybody would stay afterward and help us pack things up, that would be much appreciated. Thanks, Mike, Bobby, and Tony for sharing. Let's give them a hand. These are the promises. If we are painstaking about the phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not forget the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we'll know peace. No matter how far down the scale we've gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude upon life will change. Fear and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will truly know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? No, we think not. We think not. They are being fulfilled among us sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Now, after a moment of silence for the alcoholic that's still suffering in and out of these rooms and the innocent children caught in the crossfire, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. <coughs> Whose Father? Our Father, our Father who art in heaven, heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Keep coming back. Uh, I have it out there. Wait, what? Thanks, guys. Register for the share here that oh there is no cure for the disease you know and I said there is a cure he is the cure right God could and would if you if, if, if were taught right but right now God not gonna cure me so I can go out and enjoy my drinking you know no that, that already finished now we're on a different mission to recover from alcohol and people ask here hey what should I do what God wants me to do you know what help others you know uh, be at the service uh, Fernando, he starts the nine o'clock meeting. Always there's a co coffee. He, he, he brings the, sometimes food. He brings the breakfast, right? And he said, he always see me from far. He's so happy I'm coming. He said, Darius, come. He never said, hey, Darius, did you pay, pay for the coffee? You know? <laughs> he, said, he said, you don't have money, don't worry. Come on, you know? Man, this is like an open door to the heaven, you know? <laughs> and, and, and this is equal opportunity for anybody, right? You can come here. And, and take it, you know. Uh, I was walking over there, right? As you guys were here, right? I was walking, and I, I want to have a conscious contact with God, right? I said, I wish God could tell me something. And then I, in the back over there, I see the well. There's like a well with the fountain with the water, right? And when I look at this, I said, water is a source of life, right? And in this very moment, I just remember the script from the Bible, right? When the, when the Jesus approached the Samaritan woman by the well. Oh. And he asked a woman, give me some water to drink. And she said, you are the Jew and you are asking Samaritan woman uh, to, to, to drink the water and you don't even have that pot to pick it up. Sir, how could you do that, you know? And he said, you see, 
That water that you drink it, you're gonna get thirsty again. <laughs> I have a water of life, right? The water that I give it, you give you, you will never thirsty again. The people who are walking on the desert, though, they all drink it and they all die, the people who hold of the Moses. And he said, Lord, give me this water, right? And he said, I am this water. I am the, who believes in me. And here is who have a loving God, right? He is here. He makes a miracle here. And 15 years, I am already sober, right? And I have a peace, you know. I, the more meetings I hit it, the better I feel it, right? And I don't feel it, I have the disease, you know. I don't care if there's a cure for this disease. I don't want a cure. My cure is right here, right? Being with you guys, right? You guys are a loving God in the middle. This is the cure. So come on and take it, you know. That's all for me. Thank you. Patrick. Hey guys, I'm Fernando Alcoholic. Woo, man, what a meeting. We're, are we drunk? Are we drinking? <laughs> I want to thank God for the wonderful happy birthday, Tim. That was really good, you know, and, and uh, I want to thank God for this program and for the good recovery that's here. This literature is, is, is non far better, and I really enjoy, uh, you know, me coming here because what else am I going to do, man? Be at home and moving my junk from one side of the, of the garage to the other side and then back and forth. You know, here is the consciousness. When I see your face and I hear your words and you're here, you, you'd be surprised how that that comes into me. And, and that's when I never seen that in my life. I never seen responsible people that were sorry for the way they lived. And now we're doing something freely for society. You know, it's like, wow, you know, there, there was no... No angle, no catch. Just, you know, just we wanted you to to get this deal and with no judgment and nothing but I'll love you till you can love yourself. And uh, I, I, I saw right here in step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that. In other words... The evidence is all around for me. It says to improve. And then, then down here, to certain newcomers and to those one-time agnostic who still cling to the AA group as their higher power, claims for that power of prayer may despite all logic and experience and proof of it. And now, you know, logic, I said, coincidence started to happen with me as soon as I came in here. You know, district attorney, IRS, you know, wife, everybody. I started feeling better. I started enjoying life, my work. You know, I was delivering truck, I was delivering milk and bread, and I started coming out with ideas. Is, well, I need to do this for the elderly and for the young, so when I get older, some other cat can bring me bread and milk. And so it's my part to be part of the community. So AA, the, the, the ideas here, made me patriotic. Hey! <laughs> I took the Mexican flag, I put the American flag up. I'm living in America. I'm an American, cabrón. <laughs> and, and, you know, it just started, 
you know, liberty, pursuit of happiness and joy. And, and uh, I really just got fired up so much about the good people and their senators and people and attorneys when I was going through my DUI. And I saw how caring people were. You know, I don't know, something happened to me. I changed in here and the miracle happened, you know. And uh, so I just want to thank God for it. By the way, I got eggs and bacon in there and stuff, and it's still hot. So I have breakfast after this. <laughs> if anybody want to participate, thank you. Bacon? <laughs> it must be my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Carl. My name is Carl. Oh, Happy birthday to you. Thank you. I'm very happy and good life for you, for your family and all of us. For you too. But you have to be strong. I know he's very, very happy. Yes, you know that situation. You more than everybody. We want to help you, but you must up to you. Nice to meet you today. Thank you, Carl. I am Terry, alcoholic. Terry. Uh, when I think of him, I think of Rule 62, right? Don't take yourself too damn seriously. Is that right? Is it Rule 62? Um, I like to bring that humor into a meeting. And, and I know in the very beginning, when I was first getting to know Tim, I, I just happened to be like in that lightheaded sense. And, um, there's a meeting on Thursdays at Great at Vineyard. I say Grapevine. Vineyard, Grapevine, right? Um, from five to six, and it's a Grapevine meeting. That's why I said Grapevine. And at the end, we always um, go over some of the jokes. We always kind of end the meeting with some of the jokes that are at, called at which end at the back of the book. And I know one of the times I said, I started out my share with a joke. I said, I don't know what they mean by practice
my boyfriend's court card. He got a court card. So the first time I came into the room, I came in as a deported girlfriend, and then it took me another seven years to realize I needed, I had a seat in that room. Um, now I want to go a little bit to Kim. So a year ago in May, uh, you know, during the whole COVID thing, we decided we, we things happened, and there was an opportunity to start a meeting. It really wasn't my plan. It was definitely God's plan because I secured this place for another group, and I was a little bit, um, I don't know what the word is, assertive maybe would be a nice word, but, you know, I went to 